0: Chapter 26 of The Queen of Hearts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Queen of Hearts by Wilkie Collins. CHAPTER 26 brother griffith's story of the bitter bit part two from the same to the same seventh july sir as you have not honoured me with any answer to my last communication i assume that in spite of your prejudices against me it has produced the favourable impression on your mind which i ventured to anticipate gratified and encouraged beyond measure by the token of approval which your eloquent silence conveys to me i proceed to report the progress that has been made in the course of the last twenty-four hours i am now comfortably established next door to mr j and i am delighted to say that i have two holes in the partition instead of one my natural sense of humour has led me into the pardonable extravagance of giving them both appropriate names one i call my peephole and the other my pipe hole the name of the first explains itself the name of the second refers to a small tin pipe or tube inserted in the hole and twisted so that the mouth of it comes close to my ear while i am standing at my post of observation thus while i am looking at mr j through my peephole I can hear every word that may be spoken in his room through my pipe-hole. Perfect candor, a virtue which I have possessed from my childhood, compels me to acknowledge before I go any further that the ingenious notion of adding a pipe-hole to my proposed peep-hole originated with Mrs. Yatman. This lady, a most intelligent and accomplished person, simple and yet distinguished in her manners, has entered into all my little plans an enthusiasm and intelligence which i cannot too highly praise mr yatman is so cast down by his loss that he is quite incapable of affording me any assistance mrs yatman who is evidently most tenderly attached to him feels her husband's sad condition of mind even more acutely than she feels the loss of the money and is mainly stimulated to exertion by her desire to assist in raising him from the miserable state of prostration into which she has now fallen the money mr Sharpin, she said to me yesterday evening with tears in her eyes the money may be regained by rigid economy and strict attention to business it is my husband's wretched state of mind that makes me so anxious for the discovery of the thief i may be wrong but i felt hopeful of success as soon as you entered the house and i believe that if the wretch who robbed us is to be found you are the man to discover him i accepted this gratifying compliment in the spirit in which it was offered firmly believing that i shall be found sooner or later to have thoroughly deserved it let me now return to business that is to say to my peep-hole and my pipe-hole i have enjoyed some hours of calm observation of mr jay though rarely at home as i understand from mrs yatman on ordinary occasions he has been indoors the whole of this day that is suspicious to begin with i have to report further that he rose at a late hour this morning always a bad sign in a young man and that he lost a great deal of time after he was up in yawning and complaining to himself of headache like other debauched characters he ate little or nothing for breakfast his next proceeding was to smoke a pipe a dirty clay pipe which a gentleman would have been ashamed to put between his lips when he had done smoking he took out pen ink and paper and sat down to write with a groan whether of remorse for having taken the bank notes or of disgust at the task before him i am unable to say after writing a few lines too far away from my peephole to give me a chance of reading over his shoulder he leaned back in his chair and amused himself by humming the tunes of popular songs i recognized my mary ann bob and around and old dog tray among other melodies whether these do or do not represent secret signals by which he communicates with his accomplices remains to be seen after he had amused himself for some time by humming he got up and began to walk about the room occasionally stopping to add a sentence to the paper on his desk before long he went to a locked cupboard and opened it i strained my eyes eagerly in expectation of making a discovery i saw him take something carefully out of the cupboard he turned round and it was only a pint bottle of brandy having drunk some of the liquor this extremely indolent reprobate lay down on his bed again and in five minutes was fast asleep after hearing him snoring for at least two hours i was recalled to my peephole by a knock at his door he jumped up and opened it with suspicious activity a very small boy with a very dirty face walked in and said please sir they're waiting for you sat down on a chair with his legs a long way from the ground and instantly fell asleep mr jay swore an oath tied a wet towel round his head and going back to his paper began to cover it with writing as fast as his fingers could move the pen occasionally getting up to dip the towel in water and tie it on again he continued at this employment for nearly three hours then folded up the leaves of writing woke the boy and gave them to him with this remarkable expression now then young sleepyhead quick march if you see the governor tell him to have the money ready for me when i call for it the boy grinned and disappeared I was sorely tempted to follow Sleepyhead, but, on reflection, considered it safest still to keep my eye on the proceedings of Mr. J. In half an hour's time he put on his hat and walked out. Of course I put on my hat and walked out also. As I went downstairs I passed Mrs. Yatman going up. The lady has been kind enough to undertake, by previous arrangement between us, to search Mr. J.'s room while he is out of the way and while I am necessarily engaged in the pleasing duty of following him wherever he goes. On the occasion to which I now refer, he walked straight to the nearest tavern, and ordered a couple of mutton-chops for his dinner. I placed myself in the next box to him, and ordered a couple of mutton-chops for my dinner. Before I had been in the room a minute, a young man of highly suspicious manners and appearance, sitting at a table opposite, took his glass of porter in his hand, and joined Mr. J. I pretended to be reading the newspaper, and listened, as in duty bound with all my might. "'Jack has been here inquiring after you,' says the young man. "'Did he leave any message?' asks Mr. J. "'Yes,' says the other. "'He told me, if I met with you, to say that he wished very particularly to see you to-night, that he would give you a look in at Rutherford Street at seven o'clock.' "'All right,' says Mr. J.' i'll get back in time to see him upon this the suspicious-looking young man finished his porter and saying that he was rather in a hurry took leave of his friend perhaps i should not be wrong if i said his accomplice and left the room at twenty-five minutes and a half past six in these serious cases it is important to be particular about time mr j finished his chops and paid his bill at twenty-six minutes and three-quarters i finished my chops and paid mine in ten minutes more i was inside the house in rutherford street and was received by mrs yatman in the passage that charming woman's face exhibited an expression of melancholy and disappointment which it quite grieved me to see i am afraid ma'am says i that you have not hit on any little criminating discovery in the lodger's room she shook her head and sighed it was a soft languid fluttering sigh and, upon my life, it quite upset me. For the moment I forgot business, and burned with envy of Mr. Yatman. Don't despair, ma'am, I said, with an insinuating mildness which seemed to touch her. I have heard a mysterious conversation. I know of a guilty appointment, and I expect great things from my peephole and my pipehole to-night. Pray don't be alarmed, but I think we are on the brink of a discovery." here my enthusiastic devotion to business got the better part of my tender feelings i looked winked nodded left her when i got back to my observatory i found mr j digesting his mutton chops in an armchair with his pipe in his mouth on his table were two tumblers a jug of water and the pint bottle of brandy it was then close upon seven o'clock as the hour struck the person described as jack walked in he looked agitated i'm happy to say he looked violently agitated the cheerful glow of anticipated success diffused itself to use a strong expression all over me from head to foot with breathless interest i looked through my peephole and saw the visitor the jack of this delightful case sit down facing me at the opposite side of the table to mr j making allowance for the difference in expression which their countenances just now happened to exhibit these two abandoned villains were so much alike in other respects as to lead at once to the conclusion that they were brothers jack was the cleaner man and the better dressed of the two i admit that at the outset it is perhaps one of my failings to push justice and impartiality to their utmost limits i am no pharisee and where vice has its redeeming point i say let vice have its due yes yes by all manner of means let vice have its due "'What's the matter now, Jack?' says Mr. J. "'Can't you see it in my face?' says Jack. "'My dear fellow, delays are dangerous. Let us have done with suspense and risk it the day after tomorrow. "'So soon as that?' cries Mr. J., looking very much astonished. "'Well, I am ready if you are. But I say, Jack, is somebody else ready too? Are you quite sure of that?' He smiled as he spoke, a frightful smile and laid a very strong emphasis on those two words somebody else. There's evidently a third ruffian, a nameless desperado, concerned in the business. Meet us tomorrow, says Jack, and judge for yourself. Be in the Regent's Park at eleven in the morning, and look out for us at the turning that leads to the Avenue Road. I'll be there, says Mr J. Have a drop of brandy and water. What are you getting up for? You're not going already? Yes I am says Jack. The fact is, I'm so excited and agitated that I can't sit still anywhere for five minutes together. Ridiculous as it may appear to you, I'm in a perpetual state of nervous flutter. I can't, for the life of me, help fearing that we shall soon be found out. I fancy that every man who looks twice at me in the street is a spy. At these words I thought my legs would have given way under me. Nothing but strength of mine kept me at my peephole, nothing else. I give you my word of honour. "'Stuff and nonsense!' cries Mr. J., with all the effrontery of a veteran in crime. "'We have kept a secret up to this time, and we will manage cleverly to the end. Have a drop of brandy and water, and you will feel as certain about it as I do.' Jack steadily refused the brandy and water, and steadily persisted in taking his leave. "'I must try if I can't walk it off,' he said. "'Remember tomorrow morning, eleven o'clock.' avenue road side of the regent's park with those words he went out his hardened relative laughed desperately and resumed the dirty clay pipe i sat down on the side of my bed actually quivering with excitement it is clear to me that no attempt has yet been made to change the stolen bank notes and i may add that sergeant bulmer was of that opinion also when he left the case in my hands what is the natural conclusion to draw from the conversation which i have just set down evidently that the confederates meet to-morrow to take their respective shares in the stolen money and to decide on the safest means of getting the notes changed the day after mr j is beyond a doubt the leading criminal in this business and he will probably run for the chief risk that of changing the fifty pound note i shall therefore still make it my business to follow him ATTENDING AT THE REGENT'S PARK TO-MORROW, AND DOING MY BEST TO HEAR WHAT IS SAID THERE. IF ANOTHER APPOINTMENT IS MADE FOR THE DAY AFTER, I SHALL, OF COURSE, GO TO IT. IN THE MEANTIME, I SHALL WANT THE IMMEDIATE ASSISTANCE OF TWO COMPETENT PERSONS, SUPPOSING THE RASCALS SEPARATE AFTER THEIR MEETING, TO FOLLOW THE TWO MINOR CRIMINALS. IT IS ONLY FAIR TO ADD THAT, IF THE ROGUES ALL RETIRE TOGETHER, I SHALL PROBABLY KEEP MY SUBORDINATES IN RESERVE being naturally ambitious i desire if possible to have the whole credit of discovering this robbery to myself eighth july i have to acknowledge with thanks the speedy arrival of my two subordinates men of very average abilities i am afraid but fortunately i shall always be on the spot to direct them my first business this morning was necessarily to prevent possible mistakes by accounting to mr and mrs yatman for the presence of two strangers on the scene mr yatman between ourselves a poor feeble man only shook his head and groaned mrs yatman that superior woman favoured me with a charming look of intelligence oh mr sharpen she said i am so sorry to see those two men you are sending for their assistance looks as if you were beginning to be doubtful of success i privately winked at her she is very good in allowing me to do so without taking offence and told her in my facetious way that she laboured under a slight mistake. It is because I am sure of success, ma'am, that I send for them. I am determined to recover the money, not for my own sake only, but for Mr. Yatman's sake, and for yours. I laid a considerable amount of stress on those last three words. She said, Oh, Mr. Sharp," and again, and blushed of a heavenly red, and looked down at her work. I could go to the world's end with that woman if Mr. Yatman would only die. I sent off the two subordinates to wait until I wanted them at the avenue road gate of the regent's park. Half an hour afterward, I was following the same direction myself at the heels of Mr. J. The two confederates were punctual to the appointed time. I blushed to record it, but it is nevertheless necessary to state that the third rogue, the nameless desperado of my report, or, if you prefer it, the mysterious somebody else of the conversation between the two brothers, is a woman and what is worse a young woman and what is more lamentable still a nice-looking woman i have long resisted a growing conviction that wherever there is mischief in this world an individual of the fair sex is inevitably certain to be mixed up in it after the experience of this morning i can struggle against that sad conclusion no longer i give up the sex excepting mrs yatman i give up the sex the man named jack offered the woman his arm mr j placed himself on the other side of her the three then walked away slowly among the trees i followed them at a respectful distance my two subordinates at a respectable distance also followed me it was i deeply regret to say impossible to get near enough to them to overhear their conversation without running too great a risk of being discovered I could only infer from their gestures and actions that they were all three talking with extraordinary earnestness on some subject which deeply interested them after having been engaged in this way a full quarter of an hour they suddenly turned round to retrace their steps my presence of mind did not forsake me in this emergency i signed to the two subordinates to walk on carelessly and pass them while i myself slipped dexterously behind a tree as they came by me i heard jack addressed these words to Mr. J. Let us say half-past ten to-morrow morning, and mind you come in a cab. We had better not risk taking one in this neighborhood. Mr. J. made some brief reply which I could not overhear. They walked back to the place at which they had met, shaking hands there with an audacious cordiality, which had quite sickened me to see. They then separated. I followed Mr. J. My subordinates paid the same delicate attention to the other two. Instead of taking me back to Rutherford Street, Mr. J. led me to the strand. He stopped at a dingy, disreputable-looking house, which, according to the inscription over the door, was a newspaper office, but which, in my judgment, had all the external appearance of a place devoted to the reception of stolen goods. After remaining inside for a few minutes, he came out whistling, with his finger and thumb in his waistcoat pocket so men would now have arrested him on the spot. I remember the necessity of catching the two confederates, and the importance of not interfering with the appointment that had been made for the next morning. Such coolness as this, under trying circumstances, is rarely to be found. I should imagine, in a young beginner, whose reputation as a detective policeman is still to make. From the house of suspicious appearance, Mr. J. betook himself to a cigar divan, and read the magazines over a cheroot, from the divan he strolled to the tavern and had his chops i strolled to the tavern and had my chops when he had done he went back to his lodging when i had done i went back to mine he was overcome with drowsiness early in the evening and went to bed as soon as i heard him snoring i was overcome with drowsiness and went to bed also early in the morning my two subordinates came to make their report they had seen the man named jack leave the woman at the gate of an apparently respectable villa residence not far from the Regent's park left to himself he took a turning to the right which led to a sort of suburban street principally inhabited by shopkeepers he stopped at the private door of one of the houses and let himself in with his own key looking about him as he opened the door and staring suspiciously at my men as they lounged along the opposite side of the way these were all the particulars which the subordinates had to communicate. I kept them in my room to attend on me if needful, and mounted to my peephole to have a look at Mr. J. He was occupied in dressing himself and was taking extraordinary pains to destroy all traces of the natural slovenliness of his appearance. This was precisely what I expected. A vagabond like Mr. J knows the importance of giving himself a respectable look. WHEN HE IS GIVING TO RUN THE RISK OF CHANGING A STOLEN BANK-NOTE. AT FIVE MINUTES PAST TEN O'CLOCK HE GIVEN THE LAST BRUSH TO HIS SHABBY HAT AND THE LAST SCOURING WITH BREAD-CRUMB TO HIS DIRTY GLOVES. AT TEN MINUTES PAST TEN HE WAS IN THE STREET, ON HIS WAY TO THE NEAREST CAB-STAND, AND I AND MY SUBORDINATES WERE CLOSE ON HIS HEELS. HE TOOK A CAB, AND WE TOOK A CAB. I HAD NOT OVERHEARD THEM APPOINT A PLACE OF MEETING WHEN FOLLOWING THEM IN THE PARK ON THE PREVIOUS DAY but i soon found that we were proceeding in the old direction of the avenue road gate the cab in which mr j was riding turned into the park slowly we stopped outside to avoid exciting suspicion i got out to follow the cab on foot just as i did so i saw it stop and detected the two confederates approaching it from among the trees they got in and the cab was turned about directly i ran back to my own cab and told the driver to let them pass him and then to follow as before the man obeyed my directions but so clumsily as to excite their suspicions we had been driving after them about three minutes returning along the road by which we had advanced when i looked out of the window to see how far they might be ahead of us as i did this i saw two hats popped out of the windows of their cab and two faces looking back at me i sank into my place in a cold sweat THE EXPRESSION IS COARSE, BUT NO OTHER FORM OF WORDS CAN DESCRIBE MY CONDITION AT THAT TRYING MOMENT. "'WE ARE FOUND OUT,' I SAID, FAINTLY, TO MY TWO SUBORDINATES. THEY STARED AT ME IN ASTONISHMENT. MY FEELINGS CHANGED INSTANTLY FROM THE DEPTH OF DESPAIR TO THE HEIGHT OF INDIGNATION. "'IT'S THE CABMAN'S FAULT. GET OUT, ONE OF YOU,' I SAID, WITH DIGNITY. GET OUT, AND PUNCH HIS HEAD. INSTEAD OF FOLLOWING MY DIRECTIONS, I should wish this act of disobedience to be reported at headquarters. They both looked out of the window. Before I could pull them back, they both sat down again. Before I could express my just indignation, they both grinned and said to me, "Please to look out, sir. I did look out. Their cab had stopped. Where? At a church door. What effect this discovery might have had upon the ordinary run of men, I don't know. Being of a strong religious turn myself, it filled me with horror i have often read of the unprincipled cunning of criminal persons but i never before heard of three thieves attempting to double on their pursuers by entering a church the sacrilegious audacity of that proceeding is i should think unparalleled in the annals of crime i checked my grinning subordinates by a frown it was easy to see what was passing in their superficial minds if i had not been able to look below the surface i might on observing two nicely-dressed men and one nicely-dressed woman enter a church before eleven in the morning on a week-day have come to the same hasty conclusion at which my inferiors had evidently arrived as it was appearances had no power to impose on me i got out and followed by one of my men entered the church the other man i sent round to watch the vestry door you may catch a weasel asleep but not your humble servant, Matthew Sharpen. We stole up the gallery stairs, diverged to the organ loft, and peered through the curtains in front. There they were, all three, sitting in a pew below. Yes, incredible as it may appear, sitting in a pew below. Before I could determine what to do, a clergyman made his appearance in full canonicals from the vestry door, followed by a clerk. My brain whirled and my eyesight grew dim dark remembrances of robberies committed in vestries floated through my mind i trembled for the excellent man in full canonicals i even trembled for the clerk the clergyman placed himself inside the altar rails the three desperadoes approached him he opened his book and began to read what you will ask i answer without the slightest hesitation the first lines of the marriage service my subordinate had the audacity to look at me and then to stuff his pocket-handkerchief into his mouth. I scorned to pay any attention to him. After I had discovered that the man Jack was the bridegroom, and that the man Jay acted the part of father, and gave away the bride, I left the church, followed by my men, and joined the other subordinate outside the vestry door. Some people in my position would now have felt rather crestfallen, and would have begun to think that they had made a very foolish mistake. Not the faintest misgiving of any kind troubled me. I did not feel in the slightest degree depreciated in my own estimation, and even now, after a lapse of three hours, my mind remains, I am happy to say, in the same calm and hopeful condition. As soon as I and my subordinates were assembled together outside the church, I intimated my intention of still following the other cab, in spite of what had occurred. My reason for deciding on this course will appear presently. The two subordinates appeared to be astonished at my resolution. One of them had the impertinence to say to me, "'If you please, sir, what is it that we are after? A man who has stolen money, or a man who has stolen a wife?' The other low person encouraged him by laughing. Both have deserved an official reprimand, and both, I sincerely trust, will be sure to get it. When the marriage ceremony was over, the three got into their cab, and once more our vehicle neatly hidden round the corner of the church so that they could not suspect it to be near them started to follow theirs we traced them to the terminus of the southwestern railway the newly married couple took tickets for richmond paying their fare with a half-sovereign and so depriving me of the pleasure of arresting them which i should certainly have done if they had offered a bank-note they parted from mr j saying remember the address fourteen babylon terrace you dine with us to-morrow week mr Jay accepted the invitation and added jocosely that he was going home at once to get off his clean clothes and to be comfortable and dirty again for the rest of the day i have to report that i saw him home safely and that he is comfortable and dirty again to use his own disgraceful language at the present moment here the affair rests having by this time reached what i may call its first stage I know very well what persons of hasty judgment will be inclined to say of my proceedings thus far. They will assert that I have been deceiving myself all through, in the most absurd way. They will declare that the suspicious conversations which I have reported referred solely to the difficulties and dangers of successfully carrying out a runaway match, and they will appeal to the scene in the church as offering undeniable proof of the correctness of their assertions. So let it be. I dispute nothing up to this point, but I ask a question, out of the depths of my own sagacity as a man of the world, which the bitterest of my enemies will not, I think, find it particularly easy to answer. Granted the fact of the marriage, what proof does it afford me of the innocence of the three persons concerned in that clandestine transaction? It gives me none. On the contrary, it strengthens my suspicions against Mr. J and his Confederates, because it suggests a distinct motive for their stealing the money a gentleman who is going to spend his honeymoon at richmond wants money and a gentleman who is in debt to all his tradespeople wants money is this an unjustifiable imputation of bad motives in the name of outraged morality i deny it these men have combined together and have stolen a woman why should they not combine together and steal a cash-box I take my stand on the logic of rigid virtue, and I defy all the sophistry of vice to move me an inch out of my position. Speaking of virtue, I may add that I have put this view of the case to Mr. and Mrs. Yatman, that accomplished and charming woman found it difficult at first to follow the close chain of my reasoning. I am free to confess that she shook her head and shed tears, and joined her husband in premature lamentation over the loss of the two hundred pounds but a little careful explanation on my part, and a little attentive listening on hers, ultimately changed her opinion. She now agrees with me that there is nothing in this unexpected circumstance of the clandestine marriage which absolutely tends to divert suspicion from Mr. J., or Mr. Jack, or the runaway lady. Audacious hussy was a term my fair friend used in speaking of her, though let that pass, it is more to the purpose to record mrs yatman has not lost confidence in me and that mr yatman promises to follow her example and do his best to look hopefully for future results i have now in the new turn that circumstances have taken to await advice from your office i paused for fresh orders with all the composure of a man who has got two strings to his bow when i traced the three confederates from the church door to the railway terminus i had two motives for doing so first I followed them as a matter of official business, believing them still to have been guilty of the robbery. Secondly, I followed them as a matter of private speculation, with a view of discovering the place of refuge to which the runaway couple intended to retreat, and of making my information a marketable commodity to offer to the young lady's family and friends. Thus, whatever happens, I may congratulate myself beforehand on not having wasted my time. If the office approves of my conduct i have my plan ready for further proceedings if the office blames me i shall take myself off with my marketable information to the genteel villa residence in the neighbourhood of the regent's park anyway the affair puts money into my pocket and does credit to my penetration as an uncommonly sharp man i have only one word more to add and it is this if any individual ventures to assert that mr j and his confederates are innocent of all share in the stealing of the cash-box, I, in return, defy that individual, though he may even be Chief Inspector Theakstone himself, to tell me who has committed the robbery at Rutherford Street, Soho. Strong in that conviction, I have the honor to be your very obedient servant. Matthew Sharpen End of chapter 26 Recording by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida.